This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 706. This week, we welcome back Dr. Jay Zhao, head of Delos Labs, for a show on keeping our buildings and homes a safe oasis. Uh, really important show at this point in time with the heat extremes, wildfires, hurricanes, heavy rains, train derailments, ozone action days, and many other issues. Uh, it's going to become more and more frequent, and it's important to keep our buildings prepared to provide a safe oasis. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget about afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. IAQ Radio Plus Marquee Sponsor is First On Site Property Restoration at firstonsite.com. IAQ Radio Association Sponsors are ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at acgih.org. AIHA, the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org. IICRC, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org. The Restoration Industry Association, RIA, at RestorationIndustry.org. The Environmental Information Association, EIA, at EIA-USA.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, Tramex Meters at TramexMeters.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental, Kettering, Ohio, who is first to identify Brazilian EPEI as the hard and durable wood that sinks in water due to its density, has a Class A fire rating, and was used to build the Coney Island boardwalk. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, July 21, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ radio trivia question. Name the inventor of the first personal protective mask containing a charcoal-based filter, which removed more harmful gases than previous masks. Back to you, Joe. Okay, Dr. Zhao is the head of Delos Labs and an executive vice president at Delos. Delos is a wellness real estate technology company headquartered in New York City. Dr. Zha leads the research team to support product innovations and market strategies. His research focuses on human building interactions, and his PhD is in building performance and diagnostics from Pittsburgh-based Carnegie Mellon University. We love those Pittsburgh people. Welcome back, Dr. Zha. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you, Z-Man. Thank you. <laughs> Good to have you back. You know, I've been 
this the proposed topic for this week was keeping our homes and buildings a safe summer oasis, and we will do that. But I thought we'd expand it a little bit uh, to get into some other current topics and also not just focus on summer, but year round. Um, I, I want to start with a, a committee. I'm on an AIHA committee, and they're working on a proposed, uh, well, they're actually updating an indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality practitioner um, guideline, essentially, you know, the types of things we should know when we're doing this kind of work. And they kind of proposed to call this atypical environmental hazards. So the kind of things we don't see all the time, but we do see periodically. And um, they're looking at wildfire smoke and mosquito fogging. Let, let's start with wildfires. That's current. What are your thoughts on the hazards first of wildfire smoke, both as it's occurring, but also smoke particulate that's left behind in buildings and on buildings after a fire? Yeah, uh, wildfire definitely is a major concern in the summer for most of the East Coast cities. Uh, what I experience every day for basically the four days of this week, uh, every day there's the AQI level. AQI stands for Air Quality Index. The AQI level in New York City is above 50, 70. I think there was one day for 100. Uh, and that's that's basically the whole week uh, of this week uh, until today is, is getting better. So it's a major concern. Why is it a concern? Because uh, wildfire uh, smoke contains mostly PM 2.5, which is particular matter 2.5. Uh, it's one of the most dangerous um, air pollution uh, in, our, in our world. And, and uh, for short term, when you experience um, PM 2.5, when you're exposed to that, you have sore throats, you feel, uh, you feel uncomfortable in your uh, upper respiratory system for short term. And if you have asthma or other respiratory disease, that can be a major trigger for that. But even for longer term, if you are exposed to high level of pollution, P of PM 2.5 longer and consistently, those particles are so small and tiny. They basically go through your upper respiratory system, goes all the way to your lung, to your bloodstream. So those tiny particles go flow with your blood and go end, end it up into your heart and the uh, vessel system. So cardiovascular system, uh, which leads to uh, basically uh, all sorts of uh, cardiovascular disease. That is why PM 2.5 is number one uh, environmental risk factors for not only your lung disease, which is makes sense, um, COPDs and others, but also it's number one environmental risk factor for your cardiovascular disease because those things can go through your lung system and go to your body. So that's that's the that's the uh, risk of smoke, wildfire smoke. And now we know even it's happening in Canada, it can spread out all the way to major, most most part of uh, East Coast U.S. Yeah, I saw where um, some of our local, you know, one day it was Chicago, another day it was, I think, New York City, but we were the most polluted cities in the world. Um, other people around the world deal with this year-round, I guess, um, which is, you know, obviously a huge issue. How do you recommend people prepare their buildings to deal with this kind of issue, you've got, you know, buildings that in many cases are bringing in outdoor air, uh, in some cases, in you know, 
on purpose or through controlled means, mechanical means, and other times it's infiltration. How do you suggest people prepare their buildings better for this type of thing? Because it's going to keep happening. Yeah, it will keep happening. Uh, the the rates and the, uh, and the scale of wildfires are getting bigger and bigger because of climate change and, and uh, other issues in, in, in our environment. So, so yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger. What's, um, I think for immediate reaction, immediate uh, remedi remediation for wildfire smoke is making sure your uh, windows and all the doors and cracks are sealed as much as possible. I think the first layer of defense is preventing it coming indoors. Um, once it's happening, perhaps use towels and other things. Whatever you you learn from fire, uh, uh, fire drill, I think can apply that as a, as a short short term uh, gap measure. But longer term for our buildings, making buildings more airtight, that's not only beneficial for for pollution, air pollution, but also for saving energy. Uh, it's a, it's a huge deal. So, so there are insulation, there are filling gaps. Uh, uh, there are very professional services and tools to do that. We can do that as the first step of defense. Um, at the same time, for our mechanical systems, let's let's make sure our mechanical system have good filters, and you do regularly maintain them and replace them. So the the filters are not dirty. First of all, secondly, they're effectively uh, filtering out the uh, the uh, the pollutions, meaning the filter level should be MERV 13 or, or above um, for mechanical systems. And then um, at another layer um, is definitely, I would definitely recommend adding standalone portable air purifiers. Those things work really, really fast, work really effective, and they're closing to our, they're close. You're basically sitting, standing um, next to us, which is closer to our breathing zone meaning the air change through a portable air purifier delivers clean air directly to us um, much closer in a very fast uh, time, uh, time frame. And that's also affordable and, and portable. So those are definitely good choices um, when you have done all the things you can for your building, adding air purifiers, that's definitely a good choice. Um, and obviously <laughs> making sure if you still um, wants to make sure you are aware if it's happening. Sometimes you can see the sky. Um, in the past four days, the sky in New York is gray. You know that. But sometimes it's not easy or you don't have the chance to see the sky. Adding a sensor, adding an air quality monitor in your home or in your building, which is very affordable nowadays. Uh, you can buy anything between 50 bucks to 500 bucks. You can buy an air quality monitors that has PM 2.5. Uh, and then you can visually see that on your phone, on the wall, um, on the digital screen. So those are definitely good things to, to have. So you're aware, uh, obviously you can, there are apps, uh, weather app on your iPhone can tell you what's happening outdoors. That's a good thing to know. So be aware, be prepared. I think that's the message. I think people are also more aware of air, the, the government website, airnow.gov. Yes. Um, maybe, John, you could pull that up while we're talking a little bit. I've also got a text question. Didn't making our buildings more airtight lead us into our current IAQ problems after buildings were made more airtight in response to the energy crisis of 1973? How do we do it differently, Keep make them airtight? But Yes. 
uh, making it airtight is definitely um, partly created the energy problem, uh, the IAQ problem for the energy purpose in 1970s and 80s. The sick building syndromes and all of these things happened during that time because everything's sealed off. We don't have fresh air. Uh, but the difference now between, uh, versus then uh, was at that time, we just sealed the building, but we didn't provide enough uh, fresh air. But now we know fresh air is important. Fresh, I mean, outdoor air is important. So building an uh, airtight building has to be accompanied with dedicated outdoor air, meaning you have to have good ventilation system to bring in enough air uh, uh, air from outdoors, filtered air from outdoors with CO2 uh, level diluted. Uh, that's always go hand in hand. At the same time, making building more airtight doesn't mean you eliminate operable windows. Operable windows in most part of uh, US, uh, except for during wildfire times, opening windows are still the best strategy for natural ventilation, in my opinion. Because uh, if you don't have wild, wild uh, fire and you're not living in a major transportation uh, hub or in the, in the major highway, then you all, outdoor air are typically pretty good in most part of the U.S. Um, so in that case, opening windows are the easiest, the cheapest uh, way to cool and to bring in fresh air from outdoors. So yeah, the takeaway is making air tight building together with good ventilation and operable windows. What about ozone? I mean, there, there are areas of the country like Los Angeles and others that have high ozone. They have these ozone action days. What can we do, you know, in addition to sealing off the building? We still have to get that CO2 removed. We still have to get some kind of ventilation. Are there any good... Um, mechanical methods for removing ozone? Um, it's very difficult, to be honest. Uh, even in New York, I think when traffic is high, ozone level outdoors is high because ozone typically is generated by, by uh, the transportation, the, the, the pollution of, of uh, um, uh, um, nitric dioxide, noxus, and, and other pollution from industrial uh, cars and then they they have a chemical reaction because of sun, uh, sunlight, and then generating ozone. And when ozone is high, it's really difficult. Uh, well, first of all, it's you know defending it, making sure it's not coming indoors. But once it's there, uh, indoors is pretty difficult to remove. Um, in theory, activate, activated carbon uh, or other sorbent material in filters, uh, some in mechanical system filters, some in air purifiers, in theory, they can absorb that. Uh, but um, and, but it, it depends on the level of the concentration, depends on where they are. And if, let's, let's just say, if your ozone, ozone level is high enough indoors already, and, and we have to use air purifiers to, 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 to deal with that, that's a major problem. You cannot have air purifiers go with you and sleep with you all the time. So, so I think that's that's in theory is a good good methods to remove ozone. It, it can can be done. Um, there are also PC what do you call um, uh, uh, PCO materials, the photocatalytic uh, oxidation materials. Those materials basically use UVC as a as a very strong oxidation light to chemically 
break or uh, combine the ozone particles, not particles, the ozone, ozone uh, 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 chemicals into other types of gas. And that can be done inside air purifiers or inside the HVAC system. That can be done too. But at the same time, during the chemical reaction of oxidation, more ozone can be generated for that process. So it's a, it's a very complex uh, 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 reaction. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think there's a best solution if we say purifier and filters can deal with PM 2.5 really effectively. We, we trust that solution is doable. I wouldn't say ozone is at, at that level. It's, it's difficult to remove once it's in there. We've got, I got a text and then a comment. Are you proposing better outdoor air pollution controls? I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, but it's it's definitely beyond any building industry um, capability, right? It's about transportation, it's about urban planning, it's about all the all the regulations um, in cities in, in rural places. So definitely proposing that, but it's beyond definitely beyond my capability but i'm sure it's it's something we all want to happen you know i i, I noticed you've got a uh picture on the wall there it looks like um a picture of a map of pittsburgh and the, the three rivers so it must right. be for your time at cmu um yeah. we had pretty serious you know we're one of the top 10 worst cities in the country for pm 2.5 a lot of times and um we also get some ozone but i was also reading recently how um they're trying to use um 222 na- 222 nanometer um, disinfection essentially and but that also is now showing that that produces some ozone indoors because the other comment is ozone is so reactive that indoor levels are typically much lower than outside however the reaction products in the indoor air may be more hazardous. So maybe you could touch on that a little for our audience. Yes, what you mentioned, um, the specific um, nanometer of the purple light, we call UVC ultraviolet ultraviolet uh, light, at that nanometer, at that level, um, that's that's typically people use for um, for sanitization. Uh, you see in hospitals or in some restaurants, you see those purple lights. They can kill bacteria, viruses. Those are very effective. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, uh, I believe during COVID, the New York, New York City subway uh, is being treated with UVC lighting every night. Um, I think so. So those are the good methods to destroy the bacteria and viruses and fungi. That's good. But the problem is, the UVC lighting, uh, depending on the different spectrum, um, I think it's from 220 to 250 to 80, 90. The spectrum of that is called ultraviolet light. And different spectrum may produce different level of ozone because the me- mechanism of that lighting kill or deactivate viruses and bacteria is through oxidation. And oxidation basically producing is combining different molecules into the air, into the pollutants or the different gases in the air, uh, then those gases can form new gases. Think about it. Um, different molecules are break, break, break apart because of the lighting. And then those break apart molecules can, can assemble um, 
they call reactive uh, gases. And those gases uh, can be even more harmful. Uh, for example, uh, if there are uh, SOX, sulfur dioxide or monoxide, or those, those uh, elements are in the air, uh, or noxious, um, natural dioxide or monoxide, those things are in the air, and then they can combine and become other harmful uh, uh, gases. That's possible. Uh, but again, it's a very complex system. And every sample you, you test in the air will be different from the other samples. So it's really hard to say. Uh, we know ozone can be an indicator or proxy of those things happening. If there's ozone in the air, then those things will, happen, will be happening. But what's the end result of those reactions? Um, you know, it, there's no one answer fits all uh, for that. For those that are interested in more on the 222 versus 254, Dr. Dustin Poppendike just did a, uh, a seminar or a webinar for, I think it was for EPA. He's with the National Institute of Standards and Technology talking about recent work they've done on determining whether the 222 versus 254. With 254, you're just getting upper room irradiation. They're not allowing that to hit people. 222, they're actually bathing the whole room, but they're looking at that actually, from what I saw in the video, um, creating more ozone than the 254. So it's kind of like a, a catch-22. What do you do, Doc? <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's a lot of, uh, we did so much work um, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, and we've seen his work as well uh, on, on, on um, ultraviolet light, UVC lighting, and, uh, and understanding the industry, how practically speaking, even for you can pinpoint that nanometer from the lighting standpoint, over time, if you're using uh, the, if you are not using LED, LED is very stable. If you're using other traditional ways of producing that light, over time, the phosphor on the light can wear off. Then the nanometer, the bandwidth can change uh, over time. And if that changes, uh, the nanometer changes, the, 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 the effect of that will change as well. So is there are a lot of complex issues in that, which I'm not an expert in, uh, but I've read uh, many of the studies done by experts like what you just mentioned. So, so yeah, it's, it's a complex catch-22 <laughs> problem, um, and, and there's no perfect solution yet. John, maybe you could put, we, we put the link out on today's show announcement. It was one of the uh, frequent, the articles and links, John, if you could find that and put it in the chat and then Cliff can put it in the blog if people want to follow up on it. All right, let's move to another topic here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about heat. Um, big, obviously a huge issue right now. People are, you know, suffering through heat. You know, Phoenix is over 110 for, I think, 20 days now, which is just like, I can't even imagine that. I'm not a heat guy. That's that's why I live up north. <laughs> so what can we do to better prepare our buildings for these types of heat extremes, both homes, and residential and commercial buildings? Yeah, I think heat wave uh, this summer hits almost everywhere in the, in the globe. Um, and in the U.S., I think we are in a better situation in terms of equipment of buildings. Most of our buildings, even in the north, have some sort of air conditioner units, a window unit. But in Europe, in some parts of Asia, a lot of buildings, I believe there's stats, only 10, 20% of buildings in France or in other parts of Europe have air conditioner. 
traditionally they, they rely on um, the natural ventilation of opening windows or fans. I think that's what they do. So I think uh, globally, I think we're already better prepared than, than, than others. Um, but even that, I think the, the heat coming at us at 100 more degrees is really, really challenging. Um, again, I think airtight building with good insulation is one thing. Um, but think about what heat is. Heat basically is two things. One is just air, um, air temperature too high for us. Um, we're baked in the air, that's too high. Number two is solar heat gain. If you have direct solar hitting at you, regardless of the air temperature, you will feel really hot. So in our buildings for solar heat gain, what we can do besides all the air conditioner, the Euro thing, what we can do is using shades. You can see in my background, my shades is what we call blackout shades and it's a white color. So it basically, if you close the shades, some of the majority of the solar heat gain will be reflected back uh, through the windows to outside. Um, they're also shading externally that can do that. Um, very rare in the in, in residential, but in commercial buildings, you have that. So, so preventing solar heat gain is the one way that besides um, uh, cooling the air to for, for us to feel better. Also think about also think about um, thermal comfort. The, the 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 heat we feel it's a thermal sensation, meaning what temperature we feel is different from the air temperature you read on the thermometer. And it's also different from, from the uh, surface temperature or the so, you know, solar heat gain temperature. So, so the thermal sensation we feel can be reduced by uh, air movement. So you use a fan, doesn't cool your air at all, doesn't change the air temperature. Um, that will, will you, but you feel cooler because it, it increased air movement that in, increased the evaporation of our body heat. So we feel better. It's the same air temperature, but uh, I think that's another way uh, using fans. Um, but to be honest, it's, it's really, um, if you are already in existing building, it's really hard to, to deal with that, except for adding air conditioner and close the window, close the shades, adding fans. But if you're building new buildings, um, making sure the orientation, the the external shading design, um, and and uh, and having having um, external, let's say, uh, landscape, trees and other plants. I think that's 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 a better way if you are designing new buildings. You could have big overhangs as well that block out some of that exactly. sun. Um, yeah. What about relative humidity? And and doing a better job of controlling relative humidity. Like a lot of people up north here, they're not ready for the heat, but they are ready for making sure that we reduce the relative humidity, especially if they have basements, etc. How much does that help with heat? It definitely helps from the sensation standpoint, because the thermal comfort um, uh, is 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 a function of the air temperature, relative humidity air movement and other radiant temperature that surround you. Uh, um, so if you're reducing the relative humidity below 60, um, typically 40 to 60 is what we recommend, uh, a, a, a good range for your humidity to fall in. Um, so higher than 60, you will feel more humid, which will, will feel more uh, warm. 
So, so re, uh, reducing humidity during summertime to below 60% is definitely the right way to do. And there are dehumidifiers. There are like small pack, packs of things you can buy that absorb uh, humidity from, from the, um, the air. And then today, most of the heat pump air conditioner, they have dry, uh, they have the dehumidification uh, uh, function. So those are all the good ways to, to dehumidify. That's a really good point. You know, last week we had uh, Rob Junkman on. He's with the Canadian Wood Council. And one of the things he mentioned, and I, I remember reading Cliff's blog was just excellent last week. If you haven't read it, you got to check it out. Rob and Cliff put a lot of time in that. But anyway, one of the things he mentioned was the use of wood in indoor environments can help somewhat modulate the humidity because wood absorbs moisture and then, you know, lets it off based on, well, it, it just absorbs and lets it off. Have you got, done any experimentation at, at Delos Labs on more passive ways of reducing relative humidity in buildings? Um, we've uh, we've actually not done the research ourselves, but we've seen um, we've seen similar research done by others. Um, uh, wood, I think, I think a clay or adobe in some parts of of um, uh, the world can also, there are studies about that as well. Um, it's, it's both, it's, it's a function of both. Both the thermal mass of the adobe uh, is really big, meaning they don't change temperature quickly. They can absorb more heat. By the same time, they may have a, a function of, of regulating humidity. Um, not by a lot, but, but for some reason. Yeah, I think those using material as a way to, to regulate heat is, is a possibility. There's a, a there's a material called phase change material. Phase change material, what they can do is they can absorb more heat than regular material because they're during the phase change process, more heat needs to be exchanged. And those type of material, if you use that for insulation and for um, wall construction, that's a possibility. I've seen that in some of the academic settings. Um, I'm not sure if they are commercialized yet. Uh, you can buy or What's the cost of that? But phase change material, uh, those are good things for heat regulation passively. This, this also reminds me of, of some shows we did where Cliff, uh, we were talking about disaster restoration. So a lot of times after hurricanes, et cetera, there's no electric. And um, one of the ways to try and prevent secondary damage from relative humidity, Cliff, you, you were maybe you could tell our listeners again, you were hanging uh, some kind of material in a bag that kind of absorbed that moisture? Well, it, Joe, most many people are familiar with damp red. And what damp red is, is calcium chloride. And we know it oftentimes in the north is ice melt. So as long as you're, you're using calcium chloride, that's oftentimes what's in those packages. And damp red is, has a tray uh, you know, typically that container has a tray. You place the calcium chloride on the tray and it drips uh, down into a holding container. So in a disaster restoration situation, what you can do is take a pillowcase and instead of having a small container, you know, you buy the calcium chloride in, uh, in 50 pound bags and you can then suspend those bags indoors. And particularly if you have air movement and a fan uh, going over it, uh, you know, it's it's pretty efficient, particularly if you don't have any uh, electrical power. So it uh, definitely works. 
something worth worth uh, maybe doing a little more work on. With all the heat we're having these days, I think it's something that we we've got to find more innovative ways of cooling people off. Before we get back to Dr. Zhao here, I want to go through halftime. Let's thank our sponsors, John. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted, full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. Association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, The Environmental Information Association, EIA's Multidisciplinary Membership, collects, generates, and disseminates information concerning environmental and occupational health hazards in the built environment at eia-usa.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry, iicrc.org. The Restoration Industry Association the oldest and largest nonprofit professional trade association dedicated to providing leadership and promoting best practices through advocacy, standards, and professional qualifications for the restoration industry at restorationindustry.org. Industry sponsors are Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us, particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Tramex Meters, developing modern dynamic moisture meters and humidity monitoring systems since 1974. TramexMeters.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, HealthyIndoors.com. All right, we're back with Dr. Jay Zhao. Doc, um, we recently had a really bad train derailment on the Ohio border, not far from Pittsburgh. And they had uh, hazardous chemicals in there, and they actually set the thing on fire, believe it or not, to try and get rid of those chemicals because they were concerned that if they tried to offload them in a more uh, a less environmentally problematic way, I guess is the best way to put it, that, that it might blow up and make things even worse. I'm wondering what can a building owner do to help prepare for that type of event or, you know, just these what they call atypical environmental hazards, something that pops out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the key is to be aware the impact of those disaster on your air and water. So you have to consume air and water every day. I think that's the main, main, main issue. And be aware either through your monitor or at least be aware uh, there are scientific um, uh, agencies um, and the professional services that can do the testing for you. And I think those are the things um, homeowner, average homeowner needs to be aware. Okay, if something happens, if I have a, <laughs> I have a real road behind my house, what can I do? What are the numbers I can call when these things happen? So I think that's that's the level of preparedness we should be aware of because no one would know what are the trains carrying. So it's almost impossible to prepare for anything unless you have a bunker, right? So 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 it's uh, it's just be aware what to 
test and what to to who to call. That that's my guess. Having some of those air cleaners we talked about earlier, portable air cleaners, might be able to help. I guess it depends on what type of hazard. It's particulate would help. If it was chemicals, it it may not help very much unless you had some activated carbon or something like that as a part of the system. Definitely. Very interesting. All right, let me let me ask this. Um, a few other current events that we've seen, and and by the way, I also one of the comments brought a past show to mind. Cooling people was key for heat stress, but also can cause other issues like, you know, Legionella has been uh, recognized as a hazard associated with misting systems in grocery produce areas, for instance. We had a show with a group called BioPlanet, um, and they are actually uh, being hired by groups like um, the ACC. I, I can't remember which particular conference it was to help cool some of their athletes when they're overheated during, you know, stressful workouts. I'm wondering if there's some, you know, some use in that maybe even indoors when people, you know, they don't have uh, air conditioning, they're, they're kind of stuck, maybe some kind of misting or cooling uh, with a um, system like the BioPlanet uses. Cliff, what, what kind of system was that? Electrostatic, I think. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it created electrostatic droplets. So instead of kind of going into the air, they would uh, be more attracted to, uh, the, you know, the people. But I think, uh, you know, fogging uh, it was going to work, I would think, just as effectively. And I think they've been using, uh, you know, you, you see it on NFL games and, you know, football games. They have fans that have, uh, you know, nozzles incorporated, and then you have the combination, I think, both of uh, the airstream plus you have the small droplets. And, you know, I think outdoors, they're pretty effective. You know, indoors, um, you just got to realize you're adding moisture and, uh, you know, you add too much moisture, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some other issues. Yeah, that's exactly the point I want to make as well. Um, in tropical climates, we've seen in parks, in the uh, pathways, when people are w- walking, there are a lot of those systems used in Singapore, right. in, in um, Middle East. But indoors, you're definitely, because outdoors, when you spray, like two seconds, they're evaporated by the sun. But indoors, um, you're adding the humidity level, and it's easily going above 60%. And when that's happening, mold, uh, you know, the nationella, all of these things can 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 happen. So indoors uh, it's also damaging your electronics and 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 furnitures and all of these things so it's uh um i think it's 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 definitely one way to do it but fans i think fans whether it's portable fans um they're fans in the seating or portable or even personal fans um that you can put literally in your face you will feel cool immediately uh well not impacting others i think that's those are fans are definitely much safer way uh, for cooling if you don't have air conditioning. Let me change the topic a little bit. I, I saw an article, and I think I put this one in, in today's uh, show announcement as well. It was on biophilic design. And it made me think about our first interview because you, you know, you specialize in human building interactions, and I assume that's a big part of what you look at. They some of the things they recommended were to play nature sounds, natural colors and images, use natural scents, and also leafy plants. And I thought, you know, some of those I can't see any problem with, you know, natural colors and images, natural sounds, 
but the use of scents and leafy plants. I wonder if you could comment on the pros and cons yeah. of those two recommendations. Yeah, um, I think just on the concept of biophilia or biophilic design, I think it's, it was a psychology term invented, uh, I think, in 1980s, um, biopsychology, environmental psychology professor. And uh, the term literally means human has a natural tendency to feel happier, to just have a higher mood when they're closer to nature. Nature meaning it can be plants, can be the nature color, can be animals um, or other human being. So that's the, that's the psychology term. But over the years, past 20, 30, 40 years, so many studies, hundreds of studies of neuroscience, psychology, building sciences have already proven, um, already proved the biophilic uh, effect or biophilia as a fact is working. So biophilia or biophilic design in buildings or in, in, in struct structures can make people feel less stressed, higher mood, and more productive in most cases. And uh, we've actually, in our well-living lab, in our well-living laboratory in Mayo Clinic uh, in Rochester, Minnesota, we've actually done a study comparing people's working, uh, working productivity uh, with biophilia or without. And we had a really, really good results showing with biophilic in office setting, people feel more productive and will feel uh, more satisfied. And those are real, first of all. And then in terms of exact what to do to achieve biophilic design, uh, there's visual, there's audio, there's uh, uh, olfactory, the smells, right? And, and then those are the key three things in biophilic design. For visual, uh, whatever you put in that's closer to nature, whether it's a TV, having nature um, animations or nature videos, um, or it's just designing with wood or bamboo uh, walls, all of these things are good. Even fake plants, there are studies showing fake plants can be not as good as real plants, but can be better than nothing. So, so for visual, I don't see much problem, except for some fake plants will will produce VOC immediately. They are plastic, basically. And then for audio, um, I don't see much problem either because audio in terms of nature sound, uh, birds and oceans, and these are definitely making people feel re more relaxed. Uh, even, you know, fire cracking of the fireplace in winter, that's a really good uh, way to make people feel warmer uh, without increasing the heat. I think what you're talking about for scent, for smell, that could be a controversial issue uh, with IAQ specifically, indoor air quality, because the scents are typically coming from, um, I would say, uh, they're from, mo most scents are VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Uh, uh, we're not, we know not all VOCs are bad, right? You smell the orange, you eat banana, those smells, bacon smell, right? Those are good smells. Those are not harmful. But depending on how those smells were produced, if they're from natural extraction of essential oils from natural plants, most likely they're not harmful itself uh, if you don't drink them, if you don't you know, consume them. Um, so when you, when you displace them into the air, that's when the problem comes. Even you have really good natural oil, you want them to 
evaporates or changing into gases naturally, you do not want to put them into humidifiers, which I know most, <laughs> almost all humidifier companies uh, advertising to put essential oil in it and then you smell good. Yeah, but but the, um, what do you call it? The ultrasonic humidifiers who have like the mist, you can see the mist. What they do is they basically break the water um, uh, water into really tiny particles. They are particles. They are PMs. They are PM 2.5, PM 10, PM 1s. They are PMs. And if it, you have pure water PM, it's fine. It's just water. But if you mix water with essential oil, become PM, no one knows what's going to happen. There's no specific study showing the, um, I guess there's mixed results showing if the essential oils or the scent mixture with water breaking into small particles going into your uh, lungs, what's going to happen? No one knows that. But for, for, for safety, we don't want that because we don't drink essential oils. We don't consume them. We smell them in very tiny quantity uh, because they are gases versus liquids. Those are two very different things. So I think that's the caveat. If you want to use smells, essential oils, uh, definitely use the ones that's naturally evaporating or even burning. Uh, I mean, heating, not burning. Heating them up so they, they have a faster evaporation uh, cycle. That's good. That's okay. But definitely not liquefy them into water and definitely not using candles because any candle burning will generate PM as well as TVOC. Um, and if you burn, even you burn natural uh, oil from orange, let's say, uh, should be harmless. But when you burn that oil, we don't know uh, what's going to happen. And uh, no candle is made natural with without uh, like artificial uh, chemicals or fragrance. So, so that's that's um, that's. I think that's the recommendation. It's great that you smell something because smell is our strongest memory recall function. You you smell something, you always recall the favorite thing you're thinking about linking to that smell but uh, be aware of of creating air quality issues cliff I, just, I know this is a topic dear to your heart you want to you have a comment or follow-up yeah just just a couple um you know one of the subjects that was mentioned was you know smelling oranges and so on and so forth and typically in these orange pills uh there's a common chemical called the limonene and that is very, very reactive with ozone. There have been a lot of studies uh, on on that re, on that reactivity. And you know these these chemicals are um, typically essential oils or oils, and water's water, and oil and water generally don't mix. So you know what's going to happen is you're going to have those oils you know floating uh, you know on top of the water. And, you know, maybe the best thing to do is I, I, I'm sure the doctor is probably familiar with some of these read systems where it's essentially uh, you know, oftentimes you'll see them in hotels, restaurants and so on and so forth, where there may be a jar of essential oil and they have uh, a read, which essentially uh, it's a wood material that is is solid but it's thin almost looks like a stir that you would get in mixing a drink or whatever and those evaporate you know small amounts into the air and that might be uh the best way to do it i think maybe even better than heat 
because you know with heat, what's going to happen is the, uh, the 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 more volatile components of the oil are going to come off first, and you're going to have this you know the less uh, volatile materials left over. So I think with the reed stuff, it would probably be the best way. And I agree that you should use, you know, natural products. And you have to be careful because a lot of times um, they're sold, you know, as natural and they may be, but then they add things to them to extend them. You know, a lot of times we'll add propylene glycol or something like that uh, in order to extend it and make you think you're getting more for your money and so on and so forth. So you need to be careful. Definitely. The takeaway is to never put it into your humidifier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've got another topic that kind of <clears throat> I, it sometimes drives me a little crazy, and that's the leafy plants. Um, they're oversold, unfortunately, as air cleaners. And I wonder if you would comment on that. Yeah. Again, I, I'm, a, I'm a plant lover. I love my plants. You see, I have so many plants behind my, my, my screen. Uh, but I would never say my plants are filtering my air. <laughs> there are studies. We have we actually done one study of uh, plants, a plant wall, you know, those commercial plant wall, its effectiveness on VOC absorption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can do it. Uh, it can, it can uh, absorb the root system and the soil system can absorb some VOCs. That's demonstrable in laboratory. But the fact effectiveness, the 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 quantity and the efficiency of that is so low that you basically need to have like every inch of your wall and your ceiling to have those things there to 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 match maybe one small air purifier's effectiveness. So I wouldn't call that um, uh, effective way of IAQ. It's a great thing for biophilia. You will feel better. It looks great. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, if they, they, they flower, it smells good. Um, all these things are good. And, and uh, if, if uh, during daytime, they can absorb CO2 uh, to some degree, they can absorb CO2 and uh, generate, uh, you know, oxygen. Uh, but again, depending on the amount of uh, plants you have at home, uh, not recommending putting in bedroom because in bedroom during nighttime, they're releasing CO2, so which you don't want. Um, but in general, we never say, we, w- we would never say until we find a new plant that maybe can do that. It's an IEQ uh, solution. It's a biophilia solution. It's a great solution for biophilia. It's great for your mental health. It's great for your stress, for your mood, uh, for your happiness, satisfaction um, as a hobby, but n- not effective for IAQ. What about these walls of plants that they're putting in some buildings? Is that the same thing? That's what he's talking about. Yeah. 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 That, that was the study we've done uh, together with BRE, British Research Establishment. We've done a study on one of those big walls, uh, commercial buildings, office buildings, people put on the entire wall of that. Um, yes, they can absorb VOCs, some type of VOCs through their roots and the, the uh, soil system. Uh, that's doable. Um, but uh, um, compare, it's just not practical in terms of you can have a one air purifier for 200 bucks absorbing, I don't know, many, many more times of VOCs than that's thousands of dollars of plant wall on the on, on, on your wall. 
Well, Joe, and the other thing that, you know, we IAQ practitioners run into is they're not maintained properly. They're overwatered. Right. There's water here. There's water there. They they collect dust. Um, you know, it's, I think, I wish these articles would at least explain the pros and the cons, not just the pros. And sometimes I, I see too much of that. But let's go to the roundup, John. the roundup i want to thank tramex meters for joining our our family of sponsors and also the environmental information association great to have both of you on board um i guess my last topic that i wanted to bring up is and and this is a very current event ashray recently came out with a new standard on the control of infectious aerosols i don't know if you've had a chance to review that document look it over but what are your um, thoughts if you have um, I've, I've heard of it. I have not got a chance to, to read the entire standards yet, but we definitely think it's a right, it's a great, significant achievement and a step uh, towards uh, creating awareness and creating regulation and creating uh, a solution, a regulating solutions for the entire industry. It's a great thing for us to talk about it, uh, us in the HVAC industry, in the IAQ industry, in the building industry. It's a, it's a great thing that we're doing this. Um, and and uh, once I have a chance to review the full standards, I think I will have more comments, but definitely a, a great, great, great step forward. Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest new concept is that they've developed a, a, a formula for determining like the equivalent air changes when you include things like we were talking about filtration, um, you know, standalone filters or UV lights or something like that. And they have a way of quantifying now what the equivalent air changes would be for that. Have you looked at that? I heard, heard about that at all. Uh, yes. I've um, again, I think that might be the only part I read in the, in the- <laughs> The, the EACH, right? We all know ACH, air change rate. But what's confusing is um, traditionally, when we talk about ACH, we always talk about outdoor ACH, bringing outdoor in together with the air change rate. But what's happening is uh, air purifier companies and other companies who do not bring air outdoor air in, but doing internal filtration of the air, started using the word ACH and which creates confusion and uh, sometimes misleading claims say, hey, hey, these air purifiers can do two, three, four ACH, um, which, you know, consumer wouldn't know what are they talking about? Are they bringing fresh air for CO2? Are they just internal circulation for PM reduction? So those are the things that EACH, equivalent air change rate will come in really handy so we were differentiating, okay, there's outdoor ACH, then there's EACH equivalent, meaning it's not outdoor air, but it's internal circulation of making sure the pollutants were filtered out. Those are good things. You know, another uh, kind of, I wanted to ask you real quick before you go, you, you, you're the head of Delos Labs, and, and um, I picked up an article where one of your colleagues was studying fire-related issues, I think, believe up in Minnesota at the lab, and, and we're going to have him on a future show. What other current types of projects is your group working on? 
Yeah, um, I think we're working on a lot with monitoring the air quality, um, setting up the benchmark um, with different building types, different clients um, uh, domestically in the US and internationally as well. So we always believe the first step of solving any problems is to be aware what is the problem, what is the real issue or the things we can improve upon. That's why in terms of IAQ, in terms of air quality, we always believe awareness, um, uh, benchmarking, baselining, the conditions in your home, in your building, in your office, in your school, is the first step towards any real meaningful improvements. And so does that mean you're looking at like low cost sensors or developing other ways of evaluating or doing these benchmarks? Yeah, we're developing studies. We're using we're using low cost sensors. We're using uh, sensors of available in the market as well. So yes, all of the above. And what are your thoughts? Where are we headed with these low cost sensors? Are they? I mean, I, I know we're still getting better and better at it, but w- will they be the thing that you know? Will we be able to replace some of these more expensive uh, gadgets that I have to use on indoor air quality investigations? Yeah, I think depending on the goal of of um, of um, of using the sensor for average consumer or for non-scientific studies, if your goal is to see the difference, to see the benchmark, um, to know what could be a problem and you want to improve and see the difference, the absolute accuracy to me is less important than it's the practicality of, uh, is it uh, cheap enough for people to just buy it uh, like, like, like they buy anything else in their home? If it's as cheap as the Google speaker, I believe more people will have them at their home and they will be more aware of their uh, air quality problem. And they will know, although I would say, uh, I have two air purifiers and one sensor in my home and the three readings will never agree to Mm. each other. Uh, But what I can see is they will always, they are 20, 30% off uh, among each other. But... I know every time I cook, all three will jump up. All three will be uh, a peak will from uh, green to red. And that's good enough as a home, not as a scientist, but that's good enough as a homeowner to know, okay, every time I cook, I should turn on my wrench hood, I should open my window. That's a good indicator. And that's, that's the value of those uh, low-cost sensors. Uh, are they good for studies? No. <laughs> gotcha. Cliff, any final thoughts or questions? No, I'm good, Joe. Thanks. Dr. Zhao, before we go, we always like to give you the last word. Any final thoughts, anything we missed, any final comments? Now, just want to thank you again for having me here again, uh, Joe um, and, and the Z-Man. <laughs> so, so um, again, always a pleasure and love to share more knowledge and making sure air quality is, is, is uh, more and more broadly understood and uh, being recognized as one of the most important things for our health and well-being. Well, our thanks go out to Dr. Jay Zhao for joining us again. I want to thank my co-host, Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Of course, our sponsors and our loyal audience will be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening. 